Hello, everyone, and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David G. Walker, the editor, and I am bringing you the first issue for July 2020, and it is nonfiction, a piece by Kelly Craig titled Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, Diegetic Music, and Imagined Future Selves. It is a wonderful spanning essay uh, that covers this person's um, early childhood to uh, adulthood and um, examines the idea that music plays in our lives and our icons and who we look up to. And it's just a wonderfully, uh, wonderfully honest and frank discussion of uh, maturation, and I, I just really enjoy this piece, and I really hope you do too. So let's get right into it. Uh, this is the piece by Kelly Craig, Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, Diegetic Music, and Imagined Future Selves. I really hope you enjoy it. This is for July 2020. Kelly Craig. Not a girl, not yet a woman. Diegetic music and imagined future selves. In the 2003 film Uptown Girls, Brittany Murphy and Dakota Fanning act opposite each other as a 22-year-old who is afraid to grow up and an 8-year-old who is afraid to be a kid. Brittany Murphy, daughter of tragically deceased rock star parents, falls on financial hard times and lands a job as Dakota Fanning's nanny. The film, in its hour and 32 minutes of runtime, tackles an impossible number of themes. Relationships, friendships, parenthood, death, the music industry, life in New York City, but the developing bond between Murphy and Fanning acts as the film's nexus. As Fanning learns to embrace childlike joy from Murphy, Murphy, in turn, learns to embody the traits of a responsible adult woman. The film boasts a minuscule 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, but Roger Ebert likes it. He praises Uptown Girls for its emotional complexity and sees it as, quote, not a movie about plot, but about personalities. Diegetic music functions as one of the film's primary tools to voice those personalities. Fanning's character loves to listen to Tchaikovsky and Mozart at their most morose, but Murphy insists on the Top 40 station, helping her budding rock star boyfriend to embrace the magic of the musical hook. The film features two original rock songs written into the story world as if they are already known, famous, popular. Murphy's rock star boyfriend plays his poppy sex anthem in a TV music video, and a touching, if cheesy, performance of a song written by Murphy's dead rock star father catalyzes the film's conclusion, where her personality, almost caricature in its extreme, softens into a rounded, complete adult. Dakota Fanning was nine years old when she made Uptown Girls. Brittany Murphy, only six years from death. I watched the film for the first time at age nine or ten at my friend Kelsey's house on a VHS rented from Blockbuster. We watched it endlessly. Before the internet swooped in to give us unlimited access to everything, Uptown Girls became our cultural world. It transitioned us out of our love of radio country music and into our days of watching MTV music videos before school. At nine or ten, we didn't care about the film's plot, we, like Roger Ebert, were captivated by its personalities. 
We wanted to be Brittany Murphy, rich, carefree, skinny, popular, delightfully messy, yet somehow able to pull it all together in the end. We wanted to date her rock star boyfriend, to be small enough to wear his oversized t-shirts and to lie on our beds while he played his guitar. We wanted those saccharine songs to be the songs of our world, our diegetic music. We wanted to be 22, crafting in our apartments in our underwear, surrounded by empty Chinese takeout boxes. It seemed an unattainable age to us then, just distant enough that we could imagine that we could change enough by the time we got there to achieve this type of womanhood. By the time we got to 22, we were no longer friends. By the time we got to 22, Brittany Murphy was dead. Uptown Girls is not the only formative film of my childhood in which an actress named Brittany falls in love with a rock star and learns to be a woman. Britney Spears' 2002 acting debut Crossroads somehow narrowly outranks Uptown Girls on Rotten Tomatoes with 14%, but Roger Ebert didn't even bother to muse on its plot or its personalities. Crossroads follows the same basic narrative as Uptown Girls. Uptight girl learns to let loose while also learning to be a woman. Spears' character Lucy, recent high school graduate and valedictorian, embarks on a cross-country road trip where she shirks her academic ability in order to embrace her latent talent for singing and, get this, falls in love with a rock star. With its leading Britney and its journey to find a balance of responsibility and fun, Crossroads, like Uptown Girls, imagines the journey to womanhood and self-actualization as a classic buildings roman with a pop star twist. Of course, with Britney Spears as the film's lead actress at the pre-breakdown height of her career, Diegetic music matters here, too. The car radio gives voice to popular versions of womanhood with Shania Twain and Sheryl Crow. Britney Spears overcomes stage fright and discovers sex appeal with a throaty rendition of I Love Rock and Roll over a karaoke backing track. And the film ends with Spears' triumphant performance of her written-for-the-film classic, I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman. If Uptown Girls imbued me with a narrow understanding of womanhood, Crossroads gave birth to the idea that singing was something I could do. Britney Spears' album, Oops, I Did It Again, was my first cassette. Maybe the first thing I listened to alone in my room on my Barbie cassette player. Maybe the first thing that my mom, standing outside my bedroom door, heard me sing in a voice that would later become honed and trained in expensive lessons. A voice that she tells me I have wasted because I don't perform anymore. Facetiously, my mom asks me from whom I got my voice, but it seems obvious to me that it's from her. Beginning before I can remember, my mom would sing me to sleep with what we call the Blossom Song, the chorus of a John Denver song that I've never listened to. I preserve it instead as my mom's song in my mom's voice. The Blossom Song is my first diegetic music, pure, bright, unvoiceable images of blossoms and strawberries and the possibility of a million tomorrows, a soft pink world in a soft pink voice. The voice where I got it from. As a child, singing gave me confidence, connected me to experiences and friends. As an adult, it is a secret and former idea of my future self, like the idea of myself that comes from those childhood films. Unlike Britney Spears' character in Crossroads, I didn't shirk my academic ability in order to embrace my latent talent for singing. Instead, I write. I wield a different kind of voice, solitary, silent, and only performative far after the moment of creation, if performative at all. The words I gave voice to as a singer commanded an audience by their amplified volume alone. The words I voice with pen and keyboard resist one. 
I've followed this quiet, private voice to a career at a university where I stand before a classroom of variously eager freshmen and help them find their voices. Now, 22 feels almost as distant as it did when I was 10, watching Uptown Girls with Kelsey. Now, my cultural world has grown up and away from Uptown Girls. I have a new favorite Brittany Murphy movie, her breakout role as Ty in Clueless, which I learned to love as a movie that a succession of boys I was in love with liked, and then as a stellar adaptation of the Jane Austen novel, Emma. The diegetic music of my life is provided primarily by the pipes of Joni Mitchell and Lake Street Dive's lead singer, Rachel Price. I sing with them as I drive to the university where I teach in my third generation truck, wondering what I have done to convince an academic institution to allow me to teach anyone anything. My voice sounds a little like Rachel Price's voice. Singing along with her voice that sounds like my voice makes me remember how much I love singing. I shut off my truck and I shut off the music and I stand in front of my class and I wonder if I've made a mistake by choosing to sit with a pen in my hand and trying to make my voice come out that way. It feels unnatural. When singing along with Rachel and Joni, my voice comes out freely. I watch my students struggle. I see in their writing that some of them, the ones who sit in the discomfort of trying to use this silent voice, inch closer towards sounding true and important. Writing in a voice that sounds true and important is painstaking, long, silent and silent and silent until one day you might get someone to read something. You write and it still feels stuck inside. You want to use some organic mechanism to expel the words and the feelings. You want to scream. You want to sing. I ask my students whether or not they think voice can be taught. Most of them say yes. I want them to tell me how. I always listen to music while I write. I try to listen to something that makes me feel how I want my reader to feel when they read my piece. In fact, I listen to music while I do everything. And while I do everything, I try to get myself to feel the way I think I should be feeling. I want the diegetic music of my life to bring me to epiphany, the way that hearing the coy melody of Molly Smiles at the end of Uptown Girls brings Brittany Murphy to epiphany. But my life is nothing like her character's life, nor like the life of Britney Spears in Crossroads. My legs are not matchstick thin, and I look very different in crop tops than Britney Spears did circa 2002. I wear them anyway. I don't live uptown unless uphill or north counts as uptown. I don't use my wasted voice except to sing in my truck on my way to work. Today on the way, I sing, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, and wonder when it will stop feeling true. I'm still 10, trying to be Brittany Murphy, carefree, intriguing, beautiful, but being more like Dakota Fanning, responsible, serious, slightly hypochondriacal. But I've got an apartment. I've learned a balance of responsibility and fun. I've even got a rock star boyfriend. Our relationship is not dramatic, like the rock star relationships that these films have helped me to imagine as a child. We make dinner together. We help each other when one of us is having car trouble, we laugh uncontrollably at short clips of television shows or silly-looking dogs. We hug each other for as long as neither of us pulls away. We love each other with a steadiness entirely absent from the relationships of these movies. Sometimes we sing. Watching him on stage, I wonder if I'd feel like a woman there, if giving voice in an immediate way, demanding attention, would erase this ambivalence. On stage, I would know how to be a woman in the way that the filmic role models of my childhood knew in one glorious moment of music and revelation. 
Maybe not so much as different when my Amazon Prime subscription helps me remember the days of renting and re-renting Uptown Girls on VHS and watching it at Kelsey's house. When I watch in my apartment while I bake lemon poppy seed muffins in an outfit not unlike Brittany Murphy's crafting outfit, I sing along to the song about Egyptian cotton sheets that bursts out of a pocket in my memory in full detail. I get the jokes about sex that I didn't get when I was 10, and I cry. I cry hard at the film's sappy, overblown ending. I cry because I can see now that Uptown Girls is not a very good movie. I cry because Brittany Murphy is dead. I cry because I am not Brittany Murphy. I cry because I cannot call Kelsey, too cool for me since middle school, to ask her if she remembers and if she has gotten closer to this dream. I cry because the catalog of her life's important moments provided by social media makes it clear that she has not. I think sometimes about the words of the Blossom song. I think how when I was a child, I heard the phrase a million tomorrows and thought of the million tomorrows that I would have. I didn't hear the whole line. A million tomorrows may all pass away ere I forget the joy that is mine today. Not about tomorrow at all, but instead a celebration, a sweet, soft pink celebration of the day that I had spent not imagining a future self, but enjoying my childhood time with my mom. I don't remember the last time she sang me to sleep with the Blossom Song. I wish I did. Now my mom and I listen to Joni Mitchell together. We listen to the song Circle Game. Joni sings about growing up, about the impossibility of imagined future selves. But she is hopeful. She's sure that there'll be new dreams, maybe better dreams, and plenty. The song makes my mom cry perhaps for the imagined future self that she is not. I wonder what my new and better dreams are now that I have passed the moment in my life where the dreams of early 2000s unacclaimed films can come true. No dreams come to mind, nothing clear that I can voice anyway. Maybe an indication that I am, in fact, grown up, qualified, woman. But I, like Joni, have hope for my new and better dreams. Not as concrete as the dreams of growing up to be like Britney Spears and Britney Murphy, but instead feelings, like the soft pink feelings I felt when I imagined a million tomorrows as a child, like the less soft but worthwhile and unequivocally adult feelings I feel now when I try to articulate the joy of today. The diegetic music of my childhood gave me the knowledge that there is something necessary about an attempt at that articulation, about using my voice honestly and bravely unafraid to show the gravel and the cracks.